Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and today's guest is Jim Rafferty. Jim, thanks for being with us. Earl, thank you. My pleasure. I'm excited for it. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait to have this conversation. Uh, you got an exciting story that I know that we're going to get into here. But listeners, what I want you to know about Jim is he is a marketing and communications consultant and principal of JMR Keating LLC in Baltimore, Maryland, where he resides. He's a former radio announcer, if you haven't been able to tell by that illustrious voice that we just heard, <laughs> uh, and program director who now puts three decades of marketing experience to work, helping businesses communicate better, writing in a conversational and entertaining style. He's also a former Boy Scout leader, the story of which serves as the catalyst for Leader by Accident. Now, Leader by Accident is the book that we're going to be talking about uh, quite a bit here. Um, And before we get into that story, though, Jim, uh, I'd like to start you off where I start off all of my guests. When you hear the phrase responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? You know, I, the first thing that jumps to mind for me, and, and some of this comes out of the, the scout troop experience, which we'll get into, but uh, is kind of what it's not. Uh, re- responsible leadership is not being the boss. Being a leader is not necessarily being the boss and vice versa. And, you know, I think we see this play out too often where we, we want – that next thing, that that leadership position for maybe the wrong reasons or for external reasons, whether it's in a business setting, the the title or the the nicer office, or now I'm going to have people reporting to me or, you know, whatever it is that fulfills our ego. But, you know, you, you 
recently had Stephen Covey on as a guest, and he, when you asked him the, the question, he talked about stewardship and, and responsibility. And that, that's really what leadership is, I think, is, is whatever it is, whether it's a scout troop or a team that's reporting to you, whatever it is has been placed in, in your hands, in your care for stewardship. And that, that entity, that group of people, whoever they are, they need to come first. So I think responsible, responsible leadership really is putting others first. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that. And I like that reference to to the Stephen Covey interview, because that was great. He shared a lot of great wisdom there. And yeah, uh, he, he did. And, and and I love that answer and building on that. And that's the one thing that I really do like, uh, you know, when I set out and started this podcast, you know, 230 some episodes ago, um, you know, I really wanted to hear all of the different takes on that question. And while I'm always uh, kind of struck by the different takes on it. The one thing that that is kind of interesting is how similar a lot of folks respond. And, you know, I'm a trends person. And when the trends are that tight, you know, you, you found something special. So um, I I like that take on it. Um, Now in the, you know, kind of in the, in the run up here, we talked about leader by accident and I know there's a fairly, tragic story that kind of led to the genesis of this whole thing. So if you would do me a favor for the folks who probably haven't heard it by at this point, uh, kind of what started you on this path to being a leader by accident? Yep. Back in 2008, I became scoutmaster of our son's boy scout troop pretty suddenly when uh, the existing scoutmaster and his wife and their two younger sons were all shot to death by their 15-year-old son. And as, as horrible as that sounds, I can assure you the, the reality was worse. And so, you know, a scoutmaster job doesn't sound like a big deal. I, I like to say the scoutmaster doesn't carry the nuclear football or anything. But, you know, it's a fairly demanding volunteer job in the best of times. And this was anything but the best of times. We didn't know if the troop would survive, really, if the other parents would just not want their kids around those memories and who could blame them. And so at this critical juncture, the troop turned to a guy, me, who had been a Boy Scout for all of about two weeks as a kid, didn't like it, uh, really had no position or anything in the troop to that point, and if I'm being honest, didn't want one, and really had not even any outdoors experience in terms of being a camper or hiker or any any of that kind of stuff. So I was really pretty utterly unqualified to step into this volunteer role at this really critical moment, and yet something made me say yes, and that yes was life-changing. It really, the next five years that I served as Scoutmaster just taught me so much in so many ways. And that in itself would be an interesting story, I guess. But really, the the second half of that is what happened a few years after the the Scoutmaster thing, uh, when I was shown the door at the job I'd held for almost 21 years to that point. And it had never crossed my mind to do anything other than just have a job and have somebody else hand me a paycheck and be responsible for my health care and all that other safety net stuff. And instead, I wound up hanging out my own shingle as an entrepreneur, as a, a marketing consultant. And that's been a little more than 10 years now. And that's something I never would have done without, if had I not stepped out of my comfort zone the first time into that Scoutmaster job. 
And so really the, the first lesson of leader by accident is the value and the power and the things that can happen when we challenge ourselves and when we, when we leave our comfort zone. Yeah, no, that, that resonates deeply with me. You know, I talk a lot about uh, that sort of stuff here with my, my background being a Marine Corps veteran and, and those sorts of things, uh, getting out of your comfort zone, that being comfortable, being uncomfortable uh, really, really rings out. But, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of curious. Um, did, did you ever find out why? Like you, you mentioned that you never really had any scouting experience. You weren't really looking for a position in scouting, but uh, I'm really curious as why, why were you the one that everybody kind of turned to, to fill that role? Was there, there's something specific that they said, Hey, this is why we need you, Jim, or was it just nobody else wanted it at that point? A little bit of both, I think. Um, so there, there's a, a story in the book that, that predates that by about six months. So we had no idea any of this was going to happen. And I, I obviously, and I was just having a conversation with my son at a scout camp as it happened. And he turned to me out of the blue and he said, you know, you're, you're one of their favorite leaders. And I thought, well, that's nice, but I'm not a leader. And I don't, you know, I, as I said, I had no position in the troop. I would just go along on a camping trip to help out when I could, you know? Um, and then when, when this tragedy happened and I, I vividly remember this, you know, the, the committee meeting a couple of days later and we're sitting in the room and I'm being asked to take on this scoutmaster job. And I, I looked around and I said, folks, there are 12 people here and 11 of them have more scouting experience than I do. So this is puzzling to me that you're asking me, but I, I think they realized and eventually I realized that maybe having someone that the boys liked and felt comfortable with and felt like they could talk to because we had all this healing to do. And maybe that was more important in that moment than someone who knew, you know, five ways to start a fire without matches. <laughs> it's so true, right? I mean, it, it very much is true that in those moments, it's it's what we need is somebody who has the 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 empathy and the the relationship building skill set versus maybe the technical expertise and but you you know you said something there that that I think is is really uh, interesting because I run into people all the time that that have that kind of mindset well I'm not a leader I'm not a leader and and what I love about this is they had the the foresight to really kind of look past that because you know uh, what I what I like to tell folks is like you you don't get to decide you don't get to decide whether or not you're a leader. The person that wants to follow you decides whether or not you're a leader. And in that moment, you had a lot of people that wanted to follow you. And I'm sure even with the tragedy going on, like in some level, that felt really good that all these people really trusted you uh, to, to take care of this organization in that time of turmoil, right? Absolutely true. And and yes, you're, you're right. Um I, and I always say this when I speak to groups because, you know, I'll start talking about leadership and then I'll sort of stop and say, you know, you might be sitting there thinking, well, well, I'm not a leader. And they say, look, I don't care if you run a company with 200 employees or if you're the new salesperson who started last week. Somebody somewhere in your life right now is looking to you for leadership. It might be your kids. It might be your aging parent. It might be your spouse or significant other. And it doesn't mean you lead all the time in a good relationship, right? You take turns. But, you know, we need to understand to be leaders because in some place in your life, you are. Yeah. 
100%. And as you just pointed out, sometimes when you least expect it or, or least want it. And, and, you know, truth be told, sometimes you never even realize, as, as you pointed out there, Jim, you know, we never really know who the person is that is looking to us to, to lead them. So uh, I, I, I really, I really, uh, you know, I hate to say I love that story because of the tragedy behind it, but I, I do love the piece where, you know, people rallied around you as a leader to get them through that. Um, that was, and, and I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say that was such a crucial part of it, too, because I mentioned, you know, those those 11 people and all being more qualified and a few of them who were especially qualified did not want to, you know, did not have the time basically the bandwidth to take on the scoutmaster role, but three of them volunteered to be assistant scoutmasters. So with that, we had a team in place that could cover, you know, the nuts and bolts and the stuff that I didn't know, but should have about the scouting program to sort of be my training wheels. So I could get up to speed over say that first year made a huge difference. Oh yeah. No, that, that's another critical piece is the team around you. So I mean, we haven't really started talking about the book directly yet, but, uh, you know, we've already got a lot of gold here because, you know, having that team, those support folks. And and the other thing that I, I love about this is is the humility with which you tell the story and being willing to admit uh, what you don't know and making sure you have the people that that do that can cover down on that. And and that's a piece where I see, and I'm really kind of curious with your experiences, but that's a piece where I see a lot of leaders struggle with is being willing to sit there and say, hey, look, I, I don't know everything here. I need help. And it sounds like you did a good job with that. Yeah. And some of that comes with age and experience, I think. You know, you know when I was 28 years old, I, I moved to Baltimore to be program director of a radio station. And I was managing, I don't know, probably full and part-time, maybe eight to 10 people total. And they were all older than I was. And in some cases by decades, you know, and I, I, I wish I'd known then, you know, what I know now, because I, I didn't. And I did all the, the wrong things and acted like the boss, like we talked about at the beginning. And, you know, did not admit that I didn't know what I don't know. And I think that was a huge difference between then, at you know, 28 years old and, you know, closer to 50 years old when I wound up in this scoutmaster position. And I, I get asked very frequently, you know, what advice would you give to new leaders or to someone who's been thrust into a situation like this that they didn't plan on? And that's always the first thing I say is don't be afraid to admit you don't know what you don't know. And I, I did that. I mean, in my very first email to the parents, I said, look, I'm going to do this. And I have very little scouting experience or outdoors experience. So I need your help. And they stepped up in numbers and took on new responsibilities. And that troop survived and thrived because so many people did so many things. And with the boys as well, with the scouts, they knew who I was and, and what I knew and what I didn't know. And a lot of times that when they were stepping into that wobbly canoe for the first time, so was I, you know, and that, that can give you an extra measure of empathy at us as a leader. And, and that's not a bad thing either. No, no, it's absolutely not. It's, uh, I would say in most times that's, uh, that's kind of a big boon to, to have that, that same level. So you're, you're learning together and understanding the, the struggles that are going through and, um, no, go ahead. No, no, I just agreeing with you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. And, and so that all leads, you know, to, you mentioned uh, a few years afterwards, 
you, you lost your job that you'd been in for a while and uh, those lessons that kind of helped you make that transition there. Cause um, uh, I'm assuming that, uh, you know, you didn't have a game plan already in hand for what happens if I lose my job, right? Right. Yeah. So I had worked for a company, as I said, for over 20 years, and then the ownership changed, and I lasted about a year with the the new owner, and that did not go well. It was not a fun year, and finally I was shown the door. And so I just started to look for a new job because that was all I ever knew how to do. As I said, it had never crossed my mind to do otherwise. And the the flaw in that plan, as it turned out, was that people were not lined up around the block to hire a 51-year-old self-taught marketer. So, uh, you know, I sent a bunch of resumes all over the place and I buried a handful more in the backyard and got pretty much the same result. And then a couple of people came to me and said, hey, would you stop by and talk about taking a look at my website. Would you look at this proposal I have from somebody for marketing? Would you do this? And I thought, wow, there's a path here. But I really believe that the the pre-scouting gym would have taken on that work as the, you know, the side hustle nights and weekends, whatever. And I would have kept looking for the job and the steady paycheck until I found one, whether it was something I wanted to do or not. You know? And the the guy who'd had these scouting experiences now for almost five years and who had been to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back and hiked and backpacked in Yellowstone National Park and had all these physical challenges, you know, I was a different person by then. And I said, well, you know what, let's do this. And I went downtown and filed the paperwork that launched JM Marketing. And that was September of 2010. And, you know, there's a lot of ways to, uh, sorry, 2012, um, there's a lot of ways to measure success. You know, sometimes it's, you know, the, the numbers in the bank account for some of us, for some of us, we like to know that we're doing work that we love. Others like to have schedule flexibility. And this has just checked all of those boxes. I've never been more happy professionally and it's, every day is a new adventure and my work's taken me to places I would never have imagined. So, you know, that, that is the value of leaving your comfort zone. And believe me, it was scary at the time. Oh, no, I bet. And, and you know what, it wasn't until hearing you just say it, that the, the name of your company just went off in my head, like a, a light bulb. Cause I think in the bio, I pronounce it JMR Keating LLC. Oh yeah. That's all right. But hearing you say JMR Keating, like you don't need the A, you got the JMR Keating there. I, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. The, the JMR being my initials and, and you are far from the first one to mispronounce it. Don't worry about it. No, but I, I love, I, I kind of, I'm kicking myself in the pants for not getting it because I, I love, you know, subtle little plays like that. So that's, that's marketing brilliance. Cause I promise you now I'll never forget that. Well, there you um, go. <laughs> but yeah, no. And, and I think that's the key thing there. Like what you just said, cause you know, I had a similar kind of path to starting the leadership phalanx, not as tragic, but you know, I was doing some things in my day job. We had a, a um, mentoring program and I'd volunteer to be a mentor. And, you know, I did that for several years and, you know, it was one of my mentees was like, you know, Hey Earl, you're, you're pretty good at this. Have you ever thought about, you know, doing it as, you know, your, your, as your own job instead of what you're doing now. And I'm like, no, not really. And then another one said the same thing. I'm like, okay, maybe the universe is trying to tell me something here. I need to pay attention. And, you know, we just never really know when, when our destiny is, is going to really unveil itself to us, do we? It's, it's true. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about my messaging with the scouts here 
I'm sure, but you know, that was one of my consistent messages to them was like, you're at the age guys where you get to try a lot of new things, you know, new opportunities come and, you know, here's what doesn't happen is, you know, nobody's holding a sign that says, Hey, your life changing moment is here. Here it is. Right. You've got to try new stuff and some of it you'll like, and you'll be good at and some of it. You won't, you won't be good at it and that's okay. But the, the key is to not be afraid to, to try to have the new experience. And that's true for teenagers, of course, because they're still figuring out who they are, but it's true for all of us. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think that is actually a really good segue into doing a little deeper dive into the book. So I want to take my commercial break a little bit early uh, in this show. So let's go ahead and go into a commercial break and we'll come out on the other side and we'll dive into that messaging piece a little bit. All right, folks, uh, here I am back with Jim Rafferty, uh, author of Leader by Accident, Lessons in Leadership, Loss, and Life. And before that, we were just talking about, you know, some of the messaging that Jim used with his story and transition into being a scout leader. And and one of those tools um, is the, the Scout Master Minute. Uh, so go ahead and talk a little bit about that. What, what is the Scout Master Minute? The Scoutmaster Minute is a part of the scouting program, which, you know, as the name would suggest, is a very short message, although mine were sometimes the Scoutmaster five minutes, if I'm being honest, but uh, a very short message delivered by the Scoutmaster at the end of each weekly troop meeting. So the very last thing, the troop, the young men would circle up. We, you know, go over any last minute announcements, reminders, Scoutmaster delivers the Scoutmaster Minute designed to be something sort of eh, inspirational, motivational, something to send them out the door with a positive thought. And when I became Scoutmaster, as I said, I had no outdoor skills that would have qualified me for the job. And I thought, well, I may not know how to find north without a compass, but giving a homily to a captive audience. That's something I feel like I can do. So I, I worked hard on those Scoutmaster minutes to deliver a new one every week. And I kept an archive of them. I, I would not write them down beforehand, but the next day I would type up roughly what I had said, mostly so I wouldn't repeat myself too much. Anyway, I kept that archive of them and I used those throughout the book, Leader by Accident, and take the lesson that I shared with the scouts and then try to translate it to something meaningful for, for you and me and adults who are trying to be better leaders or just better people, which, you know, the, are pretty much the same thing, I think, uh, you know, and, and, and to get through our lives. So the Scoutmaster Minute is a recurring theme throughout throughout the book. Yeah. And no, and, and I really like that, that layout. And if I'm, I'm counting right here, I am from Tennessee, so maybe I counted this wrong, but there's <laughs> what, it looks like 14 of them. Yeah. Sounds about right. I'm so, not sure I ever yeah. counted. Oh, there you go. Well, so, you know, uh, listeners, as you know, kind of standard drill, we're going to give you enough of the book to get you uh, enticed to go grab a copy. And I do uh, encourage you to go grab a copy of leader by accident. It's got a lot of great fanfare, a lot of great reviews. So congratulations on, on that. Um, but, but I love the very first one that you start with. How would you feel if you don't? Uh, Cause I think that is a very important question that we really need to, to ask ourselves is how will you feel if you don't? Because you can kind of understand, you kind of have a decent idea of how you're going to feel if you do something and it succeeds or fails, but it's a lot harder to really understand how to answer that question. How are you going to feel if you don't 
try this thing, taste this food, take this trip, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and that was one of the early Scoutmaster minutes I did. It wound up near the beginning of the book, as you said. Um, I, I always, whenever possible, I would build the Scoutmaster minute around a story because we are just wired to receive stories better than somebody just talking to us. And that's advice for any leader, anybody speaking to a group is tell stories to the, the greatest thing you, to the greatest degree you can. This one revolved around a lady who went bungee jumping, right? And she got up to the, however many couple hundred feet in the air and froze and didn't want to jump. And all the people in her group had gone before her. So they're on the ground looking up, wondering like, what's going on here? Where is she? And then finally she did. And so when she finished, and they, you know, they were reunited and her friends said to her, what did they say to finally get you to jump up there? And she said, well, they said two things. Imagine how you'll feel after you do this and imagine how you'll feel if you don't. And that ties right back to what we talked about before the break, right? About the, the messaging about, oh, you're going to have all these new opportunities to try things. And, you know, you should say yes. There, there's another story in there sort of on the same topic about a, a a young man in high school who got cut from the football team, got cut from the baseball team. And, and he had always, you know, wanted to be an athlete and it didn't look like it was going to work out. And one day there's a knock at his door at home and it's the next door neighbor. And so the, the kid turns to go get mom or dad and the neighbor goes, no, no, I'm here to talk to you. I'm about to go out for a run. Do you want to go with me? Now this is early 1970s. There weren't people jogging all over the neighborhood at that point, but for, you know, for some reason, the kid said, yeah, okay. And they went out for a run. And as luck would have it, Monday, the track coach bumped into him in the hallway at high school and said, hey, you want to come out for the track team? So he did. And in his first meet, he finished dead last. Much longer story to make it short. Uh, the young man who's a fellow named Tony Schiller, who developed into one of the world's great distance runners, who well into his 40s, was beating people much younger and finished every event he ever entered, which I think is pretty remarkable. But yeah. flashback to that day when the neighbor knocked on his door and said, hey, do you want to go for a run? And he didn't say no. And and that really, I try to be so consistent in my messaging about that to the scouts that, again, new opportunities, try them. You know, you, you don't know what you're going to be good at, what you're not going to be good at, what you're going to like. So, yeah, the, both of those stories really tie back to to your question, I think. Yeah, no, I love it uh, Yeah, because it's true. You know, having had the opportunity, again, as, as a Marine to uh, kind of travel around the world a little bit, spend a year in, living in Okinawa, Japan. And, and, you know, that was my mindset was right there was the don't say no because, you know, I'll be the first one to admit, and so will, will most Japanese folks, is that, you know, compared to American food, they've got some interesting-looking food <laughs> items, but yeah. – if you can get past that, the, the concept of, you know, what some of the food is and what you think it is like, it, there's some great experiences to be had. And if I just said no to everything, I would have never, never known more than just a cheeseburger. Um, and, and, and I love those stories. I love both of those because, um, I mean, it's so true. Right? And, and we do that as humans on a daily basis, we get these opportunities that land in, in our laps and, whether it's fear or, you know, 
whether it's just just the the not wanting to fail, right? Not necessarily fear of failure, but just not wanting to fail. Because I think we all should realize that failure is a likelihood at this point in time, um, and it's not the end of the world if it happens. It's it's going to happen to you. But it, we we say no just because almost out of reflex anymore, right? Absolutely, and and then you take that, and you and I here at the moment are talking about us, right? We're talking about adults. I'm speaking to a group of 11 to 17 year olds, which are probably the most self-conscious years of our lives, right? Right. Uh, So you've got that fighting against the fact that it's probably also when they get the chance to try the most new things. And that's why I really tried to repeat that message on a regular basis in some way, shape or form that uh, because getting, getting the teenager to overcome that same thing, whether it's a fear of failure, fear of, fear of looking stupid in front of my friends, really, right? A, a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very self-conscious time. Those are, those are such important years. And, you know, it, it was a privilege for me because I, I feel like those are the years when young people today, especially, can't have too many positive voices in their ears. So to, to have the opportunity to do that and to be one of those positive voices was a huge thing for me, probably the most enjoyable part of the, the Scoutmaster experience. Oh, yeah. No, I think that is critical, too. And uh, being in marketing, I'm not sure if you've ever seen this piece of, uh, of research. I read it years ago, and I haven't been able to find the article again since. I'm kind of kicking myself in the rear end for not bookmarking it. but. Um, I guess they were analyzing Yelp reviews. Um, I want to say it was Yelp, um, but they they did a lot of research on on the people who did reviews, and and essentially what they found out was uh, most people will write a negative review uh, with one bad experience, but it takes an average. I think it was ten or twelve positive experiences to get one positive review. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and, and to your point there, like we're inundated with all of this negativity and very little positivity. And as a leader, as a responsible leader and a leader by accident, if you will, we really need to be that positive voice for those that we lead, whether they're kids, whether they're adults, no matter the, the demographic, we need to be that positive voice, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And you're so right about the the reviews, you know, in, in marketing speak, that's reputation management. And it's part, you know, part of what I do with clients and getting happy clients to post a Google review for you is like pulling molars. I, I don't know what it, I, I have, you know, more than one client, you know, they do great work. Clients are thrilled and you literally can send somebody an email with a link. Please click this link and say a few nice words about us or just click the five stars thing and don't say anything. And it's a relatively small percentage that will do that even when you hand it to them. But boy, you tick somebody off and they'll be right there to, to flame you on, on Google or Yelp. And those Google business reviews are so important now to a a local business. Really, you could argue that that Google listing is more important than your website. And it's, it's a challenge. It really is. I, I had an experience Last night, as it happened, we tried a new carryout place right in the neighborhood, and it wasn't very good. They messed a couple of things up, and I wasn't real happy with it. And I briefly thought about it, and I thought, you know what? I think they opened the day before yesterday. Yeah, we'll give them give them a chance. We'll try it again, and then if I don't like it, maybe I'll post a review. But you exactly what you said. It was one experience, and I was ready to like this. Isn't what I thought it was going to be, you know? Uh, but you know, I, I took a breath and thought about it, and. We'll see what happens. 
Now I'll tell you kind of the, the flip side uh, of that. I mean, cause that's, that's very common, right? I mean, and, and where I live, um, I live on the West side of, of Indianapolis and we're, we're booming. We're getting a lot of new business. So I've been in that same boat. We've tried some things. Um, we just had raising canes, which from the South, we had a lot of raising canes, chicken places. Mm-hmm. And we had one open here and it was getting a lot of bad reviews. Cause I mean, the line was goodness. I don't even remember how far they said the line stretched, but everybody's complaining about slow service. Like, well, you got a hundred people in front of you. How fast <laughs> do you expect? But the flip side of that story is we had a pizza place that, that opened up here and I'm a pizza junkie. Um, I get it. And, and it was like, you know, the, the heavens opened up and the angels started singing. <laughs> so I called the restaurant and I didn't do this on purpose, but I called the restaurant and, um, you know, the, the person answers and I says, uh, you know, can I speak to your manager? And as soon as I said it, I could hear in her voice like, oh, okay, hold on one second, mm-hmm. like the dejection. And they get on the phone and, and I was like, look, I don't know who made that pizza, but you need to give them a raise. It's one of the best pizzas I've ever had. And like, you could just hear their demeanor change. Oh, oh the relief. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you could just tell that this was like, not like they had not heard much positivity that day or maybe that week or month or whatever. And, and I guess the point is folks like to the, the topic here that we're on is, you know, take the time. Like you never know when just that one little, like, Hey, you did a really good job or, you know, thank you for being quick with the delivery or just, you know, whatever it is, like it's going to make a world of difference in somebody's life hearing positivity. Cause we just don't get it that often. It's so funny. I had somebody tell me a story once about going back to, I want to say Michigan, you know, where he'd spent like college years and there was a favorite pizza place. And so now he's, a, it's, you know, I don't know, 20 years later, let's say, and he's back in the area for something. So he makes a detour to go back to this pizza place and it's just as good as it ever was. And he told the story and he says, so, you know, I finished my pizza and I went up to the register to pay my check. And I said to the lady behind the register, I said, I just want you to know, I used to have this pizza 20 years ago and I went out of my way to come here today and it's just as good as it ever was. And she looked at me and she said, that'll be $16 and 28 cents. So, yeah, the the message doesn't always get through, but it's nice to be positive, right? There there it is. There it is. Uh, Wow. Sorry that landed with a thud, but there we go. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, getting back to the Scoutmaster minutes here, I I love that. I love the way those uh, those play into one another. Um, But the other one that I'm really kind of curious to hear your take on, being a, a, you know, like I said before, country boy from Tennessee, I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains, so I love getting out in the woods. But you had a Scoutmaster Minute built around get outside. What was that about? Yeah, it was very simple. You know, we um, really, and and this was for the Scouts, obviously, but I think it's true for all of us. And there's something about being out of doors that just does the soul good. And it's so easy to not do it. And obviously the weather is a factor as we, we get into the colder months. But this, in the case of the Scouts, it was springtime. And I said, guys, your, your life is just like mine because, you know, we have a kid your age and I know you get home and you run right out the door to sports practice or whatever and you gobble down a little dinner and you come to Scouts and, and all that. And I said, you've got to make some time. You know, you've got to be intentional about getting outdoors. I said, sit outside and do your homework if it's a nice day. You know, go climb a tree and listen to some music in your ears or, or whatever it is you're going to do. But it does not happen by accident. We have to be intentional about getting outside and, and getting away from, 
especially and this was pre-smartphones for the most part, you know, but getting away from our little electronic leashes that just, you know, suck us in all day long. So, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in that. And we're, we're fortunate. And I think most people, you know, even in an urban environment, you can be out in the woods without driving too far. Right. And I highly recommend that. I mean, any kind of walking is great, but there, I don't know, my concentration goes to a different level if I'm out in the woods on a trail rather than on the sidewalk walking around my neighborhood. Yeah. And, and I, uh, I think uh, if I, if I'm remembering right, there's actually like a lot of neuroscience behind that, that if you're in an environment uh, where there's a lot of the color green, like your brain gets a little bit more calm, a little bit more relaxed. It's able to focus, uh, you know, your blood pressure goes down. Like green is for whatever reason for humans, probably because we are, you know, a tribal animal at our base. Green is a very, has a lot of uh, positive effects on the human body. So um, I agree. I, I don't and, doubt that at all. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, that's where I learned the most of my stuff as a kid, like looking back, that I, when you said do your homework outside, that was exactly what I did. Like if I had to read or whatever, I would take a walk. I, I was fortunate enough to live uh, in the mountains. I would just take a walk up a trail. I had a spot I'd go set and I would read. And, you know, every once in a while I get distracted by the squirrels playing and acting silly. Yeah. But, you know, that that was much more that, that was a much more fun distraction than you know, like screaming horns and things like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to fast forward a bit here. Uh, because you, you talk later on in the book, like, uh, uh, about a topic that I think is very near and dear to my heart and should be very near and dear to any leader's heart. Uh, you, you do a couple of Scoutmaster minutes around integrity. Uh, so let's talk about integrity. Yeah. And the, the question I sort of, you know, the rhetorical question, I guess I would put in front of the scouts is, is integrity something we have to teach? Are we born that way or what? And there's a couple of stories around it. One was about a, um, a golfer trying to qualify for the PGA Tour who twice in consecutive days realized that he had violated the rules unintentionally. Nobody else knew it. And he reported himself both times and in each case cost himself a couple of strokes, which are the difference between success and failure, you know, and making it to the next level. And that that's a pretty, you know, out there level of integrity. And, and the other one was a much simpler story, but it, I was, I had been in this store sort of out in the country a little bit. So it was a store that did not yet have barcode scanners and all that. So the lines moved a little slower as the cashier rang up each thing. And a woman in front of me waited in line with all the rest of us. And she had one item and she got to the register and she said, and she waited probably 10 minutes. And she, she got to the register and said, I just checked out a few minutes ago and this wasn't on my receipt. I think you forgot to ring it up. And it was, you know, a four or $5 item. And I, I said to the scouts, very honestly, I said, I found myself wondering, would I have gone back in and stood in that line to pay for something that was accidentally not rung up? And, and frankly, I'm not sure. But, you know, again, at that age, that 11 to 17 range, you know, this is a good time to reinforce. And, and that's one of the things I loved about the scouting program was that the scouting program works to reinforce what parents are trying to teach their kids at home, integrity and leadership and being a good citizen and making good decisions and all that. So, yeah, that, that was that was an interesting topic, that one. 
Yeah, no, it really is. And, you know, again, I was I was in the scouts for a few years, uh, uh, Cub Scouts. I never really got into Boy Scouts because I got into all sorts of other things, uh, sports and, and the like. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with you with the life lessons. I'm a big fan of, of the scouting program to this day. I uh, got a lot of friends who are involved in it, uh, you know, do some instructing out at Philmont Ranch and things like that out in New Mexico. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful area out there. Um, but I, I love the story and I love the question, right? Because I think that is, I, I agree with something you said earlier about telling stories and if, as leaders, sharing stories and stories with a moral and like that. Because, you know, in your story, I have to ask myself the same thing. Like, would I have done that? And And like you said, I'd like to be able to just say yes but you know when i say hey i've got an appointment to get to i don't have time to stand in the line for 10 minutes that was their mistake not mine what would i yep. stand up to that occasion or would i make an excuse right and, and i think those are important questions to ask ourselves so i like that you i like that you did that because self-discovery is the easiest way to learn a lesson that sticks isn't it it is yes absolutely yeah. Um, so I want to hop ahead again here just a little bit, uh, to, uh, I love this one here. It, it, the title, uh, it, when you get the book, you'll see why I chuckle when I read this one. Cause you hear Scoutmaster minute, Scoutmaster minute, Scoutmaster minute. And then we get to not a Scoutmaster minute, best damn day of my life. So what's that one about? That is about my next door neighbor, uh, who was such a wonderful guy and who, who passed away right as he and his wife retired to North Carolina, you know, just the, the timing of everything was just so unfair and felt to me, but Dick was a guy who was a natural born salesman and you knew that the first time you met him, but it took a little longer to figure out that it went much deeper than that. And the best damn day of my life part was his response to anyone, literally any stranger on the street who would say, Hey, how you doing? You know, you walk into a restaurant, somebody goes, Hey, how you doing? And he'd go best damn day of my life. Thank you for asking, right? You know, and it, it always lit up a room, but once in a while it would go a little differently and it was much more meaningful. I, I, I would hear him say, best damn day of my life. And the other person would go, wow, why is that? And he'd say, because you cared enough to ask. And that was the thing with him was, you know, he, I like to say he always lit up a room, but he made sure you knew that you were the most important person in the room. He was, he was so good at that, at, at making other people feel important. And boy, if that's not a valuable leadership lesson, I don't know what is, you know, we talk about servant leadership and putting others first and all that. And he, he lived that every day of his life. I miss him terribly every day. It's been more than, you know, been, been about three and a half years. Oh, no. I, and, and again, I love that. And because it's true. I mean, just that very simple gesture, like he didn't do anything overtly grandiose. He didn't, you know, give somebody a gold watch for 40 years. He just made them feel special in that moment. And, and it's that easy sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it's safe to say that some people have a gift for that. He certainly did. But I think it's also safe to say that we could all do a little better every day at it. And do we always try? I don't know. You know, that that for me is because I'm, I'm generally a quiet sort of reserved person. I'm not the person who's going to walk into the bar and go best damn day of my life, you know, but I'm getting better at engaging with people at least a little bit at trying to, you know, make eye contact and, and touch and ask about how their day is and, and mean it, you know, really care about the answer because those are the things that, you know, we're, we're talking about leadership here. And, and I, I like to say, 
you know, you can say whatever you want about leadership, change leader to human being or person, and it still works because, you know, if you want to be a better leader, we have to be better people overall. And one of the ways we do that is by caring more about the people around us. And that's, that's what that was all about. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I love that message so much. Um, and you're right. Yeah. It's not an easy skill for everybody to have, but it's one we can, can work on. You mentioned introverts earlier. That's obviously harder for them. Extroverts can take it a little bit too far sometimes, uh, make it sound cheesy and not authentic. And, uh, so it's a fine, fine line to ride there. But like you said, and I love that is, is the important piece is, is find your thing, making an effort and, and trying to do a little bit better at it. Uh, Jim, this has been a fantastic conversation. I hate to utter these words, but we've been chatting here for a little over 40 minutes at this point in time, and, and you've shared a wealth of knowledge with us. I really hope my listeners are going out right now and putting a copy of uh, Leader by Accident in their uh, Amazon card or wherever it is that they buy their books. Uh, but before we get out of here, is there anything that you really want to leave listeners with that we didn't get a chance to touch on yet? I would say, you know, the the two pillars of the book – I think are one, one we talked about pretty extensively about getting out of your comfort zone. And the other, I think sort of shakes hands with, with it pretty well and was another part of my recurring messaging to the scouts. And that is just developing and cultivating a sense of gratitude. And, you know, that's gotten harder lately. I think as, you know, I was scoutmaster 2008 to 2012. Well, that was before we arrived at the current political and social media climate where everybody's, you know, shouting and pointing fingers and calling each other idiots and all that. We do, we just consume this whole torrent of negativity every day. And I feel like it's more important than ever and probably takes more effort than ever to stay in a positive place. And there's, there's different ways to do that. And I talk about at least one or two of them in the book, but it's so important that we make that effort to, to cultivate a sense of gratitude. It leaves us in a better place and it leaves us in a better place to, to be leaders also. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I'll agree with that. I mean, you mentioned social media and all that. I mean, there's a, a flow of negativity and we've talked about the importance of being positive, but you know, not being Pollyanna ish about it, like being legitimately positive and, and, it's one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophers and, and uh, gentlemen by uh, uh, the name of Epictetus. This is uh, men are disturbed not by things, but the view of which they take of them. Um, yes. Everything has a positive and a negative spin to it. It's, it's what do you choose to focus on? Uh, look at your story, right? You, you had your, your community had this huge tragedy, loss of life. Uh, the organization you were asked to lead had, had loss of life within the organization. Huge tragedy. But yep. the positive light, you got thrust into a leadership role that you may were, maybe were a little bit reluctant to take on. You were able to build uh, your life going forward around that. And I would guarantee, just based off of our conversation here, that if you talk to the scouts that were in your care during that four-year period, you made an indelible mark on their lives and made it much better for being there. And if tragedy hadn't happened, you would have never been in that position. Um, and that's Thank you. the power of it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, and the thing about the positivity is it doesn't mean being happy all the time. Don't, don't confuse that with being the guy who lights up the room or the lady who lights up the room because it doesn't mean that. It just means that it doesn't mean that bad stuff won't happen. It means that when it does happen, you're, you're in a better place to deal with it. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. So listeners want to find out more about you, uh, what you're doing, um, JM marketing. Uh, they want to find out about all that. Where's a good place for them to go find out more about Jim and leader by accident. Well, leaderbyaccident.com is all about the book and about my availability as a, you know, speaker, presenter, that kind of thing. So yeah, leaderbyaccident.com is a great place to start. And then there's also jmmarketing.com, which is J-M-R-K-E-T-I-N-G.com. That's sort of the, the marketing consulting side of what I do. Okay. Outstanding. Those will get, uh, those links will get into the show notes so folks can click on those and find you very easily. Uh, Jim, I just want to say thank you very much for being a guest on the show, sharing your experiences, sharing your story, taking the time to write this book, taking the time to do all the things that you've been doing. Folks, if you go look up Jim Rafferty on online and, and look at some of the other interviews he's done on YouTube, they're fantastic as well. Just thank you for putting yourself, your story, your lessons out there. And thank you for being an outstanding guest here on the Responsible Leadership Podcast today. I really appreciate the chance to talk. Thank you, Earl. It's been a pleasure. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.